Hello, Franken friends. Uh, you're listening to Frankentastic, a regendered reading of Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. Episode 10, Chapter 8. Cursed, cursed creator. Why did I live? Why in that instant did I not extinguish the spark of existence? which you had so wantonly bestowed. I know not. Despair had not yet taken possession of me. My feelings were those of rage and revenge. I could with pleasure have destroyed the cottage and its inhabitants, and have glutted myself with their shrieks and misery. When night came, I quitted my retreat and wandered in the wood, and now, no longer restrained by the fear of discovery, I gave vent to my anguish in fearful howlings. I was like a wild beast that had broken the toils, destroying the objects that obstructed me and raging through the wood with a stag-like swiftness. Oh, what a miserable night I passed! The cold stars shone in mockery, and the bare trees waved their branches above me. Now and then the sweet voice of a bird burst forth amidst the universal stillness. All save I were at rest, or in enjoyment. I, like the arch-fiend, bore a hell within me, and finding myself unsympathised with, wished to tear up the trees, spread havoc and destruction around me and then to have sat down and enjoyed the ruin. But this was a luxury of sensation that could not endure. I became fatigued with excess of bodily exertion, and sank onto the damp grass in the sick impotence of despair. There was none among the myriad of women that existed who would pity or assist me, and should I feel kindness towards my enemies? No! From that moment I declared everlasting war against the species, and more than all against her who had formed me, and sent me forth to this insupportable misery. The sun rose. I heard the voices of women, and knew that it was impossible to return to my retreat during that day. Accordingly, I hid myself in some thick underwood, determining to devote the ensuing hours to reflection on my situation. The pleasant sunshine and the pure air of day restored me to some degree of tranquillity, and when I considered what had passed at the cottage, I could not help believing that I had been too hasty in my conclusions. I had certainly acted imprudently. It was apparent that my conversation had interested the parent in, in, in my behalf, and I was a fool in having exposed my person to the horror of their children. I ought to have familiarised the old de Lacy to me, and by degrees to have discovered myself to the rest of their family when they should have been prepared for my approach. But I did not believe my errors to be irretrievable, and after much consideration I resolved to return to the cottage, seek the old person, and by my representations win them to my party. These thoughts calmed me, 
and in the afternoon I sank into a profound sleep. But the fever of my blood did not allow me to be visited by peaceful dreams. The horrible scene of the preceding day was forever acting before my eyes. The males were flying, and the enraged Agatha tearing me from her parents' feet. I awoke exhausted, and finding that it was already night, I crept forth from my hiding-place, and went in search of food. When my hunger was appeased, I directed my steps towards the well-known path that conducted to the cottage. All there was at peace. I crept into my hovel and remained in silent expectation of the accustomed hour, when the family arose. That hour passed, the sun mounted high in the heavens, but the cottagers did not appear. I trembled violently, apprehending some dreadful misfortune. The inside of the cottage was dark, and I heard no motion. I cannot describe the agony of this suspense. Presently two countrywomen passed by, but pausing near the cottage they entered into conversation, using violent gesticulations, but I did not understand what they said, as they spoke the language of the country which differed from that of my protectors. Soon after, however, Agatha approached with another woman. I was surprised, as I knew that she had not quitted the cottage that morning, and waited anxiously to discover from her discourse the meaning of these unusual appearances. "'Do you consider,' said her companion to her, "'that you will be obliged to pay three months' rent, "'and to lose the produce of your garden? "'I do not wish to take any unfair advantage, "'and I beg, therefore, that you will take some days "'to consider of your determination.' "'It is utterly useless,' replied Agatha. "'We can never again inhabit your cottage.' The life of my parent is in the greatest danger, owing to the dreadful circumstance that I have related. My husband and my brother will never recover from their horror. I entreat you not to reason with me any more. Take possession of your tenement, and let me fly from this place. Agatha trembled violently as she said this. She and her companion entered the cottage, in which they remained for a few minutes and then departed. I never saw any of the family of de Lacy more. I continued for the remainder of the day in my hovel, in a state of utter and stupid despair. My protectors had departed, and had broken the only link that held me to the world. For the first time the feelings of revenge and hatred filled my bosom, and I did not strive to control them. But allowing myself to be borne away by the stream, I bent my mind towards injury and death. When I thought of my friends, of the mild voice of de Lacy, the gentle eyes of Felix, and the exquisite beauty of the Arabian, these thoughts vanished, and a gush of tears somewhat soothed me. But again when I reflected that they had spurned and deserted me, Anger returned, a rage of anger, and unable to injure anything human, I turned my fury towards inanimate objects. As night advanced, I placed a variety of combustibles around the cottage, and having, after having destroyed every vestige of cultivation in the garden, 
I waited with forced impatience until the moon had sunk to commence my operations. As the night advanced, a fierce wind arose from the woods, and quickly dispersed the clouds that had loitered in the heavens. The blast tore along like a mighty avalanche, and produced a kind of insanity in my spirits, that burst all bounds of reason and reflection. I lighted the dry branch of a tree, and danced with fury around the devoted cottage, my eyes still fixed on the western horizon, the edge of which the moon nearly touched. A part of its orb was at length hid, and I waved my brand. It sank, and with a loud scream I fired the straw and heath and bushes which I had collected. The wind fanned the fire, and the cottage was quickly enveloped by the flames, which clung to it and licked it with their forked and destroying tongues. As soon as I was convinced that no assistance could save any part of the habitation, I quitted the scene, and sought for refuge in the woods. And now with the world before me, whither should I bend my steps? I resolved to fly far from the scene of my misfortunes, but to me, hated and despised, every country must be equally horrible. At length the thought of you crossed my mind. I learned from your papers that you were my mother, my creator, and to whom could I apply with more fitness than to her who had given me life? Among the lessons that Agatha had bestowed upon Safi, geography had not been omitted. I had learned from these the relative situations of the different countries of the earth. You had mentioned Geneva as the name of your native town, and towards this place I resolved to proceed. But how was I to direct myself? I knew that I must travel in a south-westerly direction to reach my destination, but the sun was my only guide. I did not know the names of the towns that I was to pass through, nor could I ask information from a single human being. But I did not despair. From you only could I hope for succour, though towards you I felt no sentiment but that of hatred unfeeling, heartless creator. You had endowed me with perceptions and passions, and then cast me abroad an object for the scorn and horror of womankind. But on you, only had I any claim for pity and redress, and from you I determined to seek that justice, which I vainly attempted to gain from any other being that wore the human form. My travels were long, and the sufferings I endured intense. It was late in autumn when I quitted the district where I had so long resided. I travelled only at night, fearful of encountering the visage of a human being. Nature decayed around me, and the sun became heatless. Rain and snow poured around me, mighty rivers were frozen. The surface of the earth was hard and chill and bare, and I found no shelter. O oh, earth! How often did I imprecate curses on the cause of my being! The mildness of my nature had fled, and all within me was turned to gall and bitterness. The nearer I approached to your habitation, 
the more deeply did I feel the spirit of revenge enkindled in my heart. Snow fell, and the waters were hardened, but I rested not. A few incidents now and then directed me, and I possessed a map of the country, but I often wandered wide from my path. The agony of my feelings allowed me no respite. No incident occurred from which my rage and misery could not extract its food. But a circumstance that happened when I arrived on the confines of Switzerland, when the sun had recovered its warmth and the earth again began to look green, confirmed in an especial manner the bitterness and horror of my feelings. I generally rested during the day, and travelled only when I was secured by night from the view of woman. One morning, however, finding that my path lay through a deep wood, I ventured to continue my journey after the sun had risen. The day, which was one of the first of spring, cheered even me by the loveliness of its sunshine and the balminess of the air. I felt emotions of gentleness and pleasure that had long appeared dead revive within me. Half surprised by the novelty of these sensations, I allowed myself to be borne away by them, and forgetting my solitude and deformity, dared to be happy. Soft tears again bedewed my cheeks, and I even raised my humid eyes with thankfulness towards the blessed sun, which bestowed such joy upon me. I continued to wind among the paths of the wood, until I came to its boundary, which was skirted by a deep and rapid river, into which many of the trees bent their branches, now budding with the fresh spring. Here I paused, not exactly knowing what path to pursue, when I heard the sound of voices that induced me to conceal myself under the shade of a cypress. I was scarcely hid, when a young boy came running towards the spot where I was concealed, laughing, as if he ran from someone in sport. He continued his course along the precipitous sides of the river, when suddenly his foot slipped, and he fell into the rapid stream. I rushed from my hiding-place, and with extreme labour from the force of the current, saved him and dragged him to shore. He was senseless, and I endeavoured by every means in my power to restore animation, when I was suddenly interrupted by the approach of a rustic, who was probably the person from whom he had playfully fled. On seeing me, she darted towards me, and tearing the boy from my arms, hastened towards the deeper parts of the wood. I followed speedily. I hardly knew why, but when the woman saw me draw near, she aimed a gun which she carried at my body, and fired. I sank to the ground, and my injurer, with increased swiftness, escaped into the wood. This was then the reward of my benevolence. I had saved a human being from destruction, and as a recompense, I now writhed under the miserable pain of a wound, which shattered the flesh and bone. The feelings of kindness and gentleness which I had entertained but a few moments before gave place to hellish rage and gnashing of teeth. 
inflamed by pain, I vowed eternal hatred and vengeance to all womankind. But the agony of my wound overcame me. My pulses paused, and I fainted. For some weeks I led a miserable life in the woods, endeavouring to cure the wound which I had received. The ball had entered my shoulder, and I knew not whether it had remained there or passed through. At any rate, I had no means of extracting it. My sufferings were augmented also by the oppressive sense of the injustice and ingratitude of their infliction. My daily vows rose for revenge, a deep and deadly revenge, such as would alone compensate for the outrages and anguish I had endured. After some weeks my wound healed, and I continued my journey. The labours I endured were no longer to be alleviated by the bright sun or gentle breezes of spring. All joy was but a mockery, which insulted my desolate state, and made me feel more painfully that I was not made for the enjoyment of pleasure. But my toils now drew near a close, and in two months from this time I reached the environs of Geneva. It was evening when I arrived and I retired to a hiding-place among the fields that surround it, to meditate in what manner I should apply to you. I was oppressed by fatigue and hunger, and far too unhappy to enjoy the gentle breezes of evening, or the prospect of the sun setting behind the stupendous mountains of Jura. At this time a slight sleep relieved me from the pain of reflection which was disturbed, by the approach of a beautiful child, who came running into the recess I had chosen, with all the sportivenesses of infancy. Suddenly, as I gazed on her, an idea seized me, that this little creature was unprejudiced, and had lived too short a time to have imbibed a horror of deformity, if therefore I could seize her and educate her as my companion and friend, I should not be so desolate in this peopled earth. Urged by this impulse, I seized on the girl as she passed, and drew her towards me. As soon as she beheld my form, she placed her hands before her eyes, and uttered a shrill scream. I drew her hand forcibly from her face, and said, "'Child!' What is the meaning of this? I do not intend to hurt you. Listen to me. She struggled violently. Let me go, she cried. Monster, ugly wretch, you wish to eat me and tear me to pieces. You are an ogre. Let me go or I will tell my mamma. Girl, you will never see your mother again. You must come with me. Hideous monster, let me go. My mamma is a syndic. She is Madame Frankenstein. She will punish you. You dare not keep me. Frankenstein. You belong then to my enemy. To her towards whom I have sworn eternal revenge. You shall be my first victim. The child still struggled and loaded me with epithets which carried despair to my heart. 
I grasped her throat to silence her, and in a moment she lay dead at my feet. I gazed on my victim, and my heart swelled with exultation and hellish triumph. Clapping my hands, I exclaimed, I too can create desolation. My enemy is not invulnerable. This death will carry despair to her, and a thousand other miseries shall torment and destroy her. As I fixed my eyes on the child, I saw something glittering on her breast. I took it. It was a portrait of a most lovely person. In spite of my malignity, it softened and attracted me. For a few moments I gazed with delight on their dark eyes, fringed by deep lashes and their lovely lips. But presently my rage returned. I remembered that I was forever deprived of the delights that such beautiful creatures could bestow, and that they whose resemblance I contemplated would, in regarding me, have changed that air of divine benignity to one expressive of disgust and affright. Can you wonder that such thoughts transported me with rage? I only wonder that at that moment, instead of venting my sensations in exclamations and agony, I did not rush among womankind and perish in the attempt to destroy them. While I was overcome by these feelings, I left the spot where I had committed the murder, and seeking a more secluded hiding place, I entered a barn which had appeared to me to be most empty. A man was sleeping on some straw. He was young, not indeed so beautiful as them whose portrait I held, but of an agreeable aspect and blooming in the loveliness of youth and health. Here, I thought, is one of those whose joy-imparting smiles are bestowed on all but me. And then I bent over him and whispered, Awake, fairest, thy lover is near, she who would give her life but to obtain one look of affection from thine eyes, my beloved. Awake. The sleeper stirred. A thrill of terror ran through me. Should he indeed awake and see me and curse me and denounce the murderer? Thus would he assuredly act, if his darkened eyes opened and he beheld me. The thought was madness. It stirred the fiend within me. Not I, but he shall suffer. The murder I have committed, because I am forever robbed of all that he could give me, he shall atone. The crime had its source in him. Be his the punishment. Thanks to the lessons of Agatha and the sanguinary laws of woman, I had learned how to work mischief. I bent over him and placed the portrait securely in one of the folds of his dress. He moved again, and I fled. For some days I haunted the spot where these scenes had taken place sometimes wishing to see you, sometimes resolved to quit the world and its miseries forever. At length I wandered towards these mountains and have ranged through their immense recesses, 
consumed by a burning passion which you alone can gratify. We may not part until you have promised to comply with my requisition. I am alone and miserable. Woman will not associate me, but one as deformed and horrible as myself would not deny himself to me. My companion must be of the same species and have the same defects. This being you must create. Thanks for listening. On behalf of Twelfth Planet Press, I'd also like to thank everyone who backed the Mother of Invention Kickstarter. It's 2018 and Mother of Invention is due to be released in the middle of this year. I will see you next fortnight. Bye. Bye.